What is popping, ladies and gentlemen? Brand new pod just hopped in. <laughs> That's right. It's Doug back with the big dudes in the trenches. I'm joined by a bug over here. We are not, however, joined by Tug. He has the week off for some work stuff. We got it covered, though. Don't you worry. We still have plenty of news to get to. Plenty of NFL and college reviews going down. Man, this is going to be a loaded show. You ready for it, Bug? I'm excited for it, man. You know, we're uh, we're recording here on Tuesday, so the next week of college football playoff rankings have been released because, ironically, I had some work stuff going on last night as well. And, uh, man, That's good, I am... because I want to talk about some of this. Yeah, so do <laughs> I. You know, I've... I've seen some pretty interesting uh, takes on this that I want to bring up. And, uh, hey, if you're one of our new Twitter followers and you're giving us a listen, welcome. I do also want to say that we normally shout out the links at the end of the show, and they're in the description, but some people don't make it that far. So you can say it up front this time, just so everybody's clear. You know, you want to find us anywhere, social medias, BDT Football. It's at BDT Football on Twitter. BDT football on Facebook, BDT underscore football on Instagram now, BDTfootball.com. I mean, everywhere you can think of BDT football, we're probably there, including Patreon, patreon.com slash BDT football. So I wanted to get that out of the way up top for once because we don't normally do that. I will also say if you're looking for us on Facebook, search Big Dudes in the Trenches, just like on this podcast title here probably have a little bit easier time finding it than typing in facebook.com backslash i think it's bdt football it might be big dudes in the trenches i'm not sure it is bdt football but it, you know just search big dudes in the trenches or at bdt football we can be found most places that way <laughs> those links are in the description though and like i said we shout them out the end of every episode so if you've already heard them is what it is but some people don't make it that far smell what i'm stepping in feeling it <laughs> let's just get going dude let's do it so there was a good stretch there i know where i liked to joke at the beginning of every news segment that we are primarily a chicago bears podcast and we only talk about bears news <laughs> but this week we have some legitimate stuff to talk about with the bears so i'm gonna hand it over what do you got bug yeah, so Tevin Jenkins is returning to practice after having back surgery, uh, pre-existing back injury, and apparently it was worse than maybe the Bears thought. Uh, a lot of people were critical of the Bears for drafting Jenkins, knowing this, understandably so. Timetable was either going to be November or next season. I'm surprised that they're letting him come back to practice, and you got to think, you don't let him come back to practice unless you expect him to be able to play at some point this season. Now... I've also seen, you know, Darnell Mooney has been quoted as saying it's going to be real nice when we finish 11 and six. I love that energy. I don't know if it's possible. I don't want to talk about that. But if that's kind of the feeling around the locker room, bringing back Jenkins could be a definite boost. The problem is he's a tackle. Jason Peters has looked great since about week three or four. And Larry Borms looked great since he came back to the team, too. So it creates a very interesting decision for the Chicago Bears of what to do. I mean, the entire line hasn't been all great. And so if you can slot him in at guard somewhere, possibly, even if it's a temporary move, if he can work there, it will certainly help you guys. And I think that's what I got to look at. That I, I, Jason Peters is not going to move to guard. He is way too big to be a guard. 
which is a weird thing to say if you don't understand the way offensive lines work specifically. But he also, I've seen Jason Peters get burnt too many times. He doesn't have the finesse, in my opinion, to play guard as well either. He's or, also like 38, right? I mean, like legitimately, I know we joke about guys' age, but I think he is legitimately like 38 I, years old. He might actually even be 39. I'm not Jeez. even kidding. The man was fishing when the Bears called him, enjoying <laughs> retirement fishing. Like, I mean, to be fair, Joe Thomas was fishing on his draft day instead of being at the draft. <laughs> I mean, I know where I'd rather be. Right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would hate to move Borum, and I would hate to put Jenkins in a position that he's not comfortable with and potentially is going to set him up for failure. So you're really sitting there. What can you do? Maybe, I mean, uh, with Jenkins' injury, Borum's inexperience, and uh, Jason Peters' age, maybe some sort of rotation. And I understand too, like going from left to right tackle is very different, really very hard. difficult to do. Right. If they could figure out some, some way to make it work even a little bit, that might be the best shot. Anything that they do right now is going to be pretty interesting to watch. And anything they could do is probably going to be helpful. They do need some offensive line help. So yeah. Devin Jenkins coming back, that's a big deal, especially what was your second pick in the draft. Second round pick. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Uh, On the opposite end of the spectrum, defensive line issues here. Chase Young is out for the rest of the season. That one hurts, man. Sucks to see. That's an ACL tear. And, man, that just stings. It it hurt to see, too. Like, you know, I was watching watching the Bills and Jets, and uh, I think I had red zone up, and I saw Chase Young down, and, man, like – I'm glad that Washington ended up winning the game. I am curious what that's going to do to them going forward. Right. Definitely. And I will say of the three, you know, there was a nice stretch of three Ohio State defensive ends going in the top five there, the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. Of those three, Chase Young felt like the most sturdy, the most, you know, the least injury prone, I guess you could say. So I'm expecting him to come back healthy next season and I don't think this will be like a net issue going forward at the same time that's always it's always a harder thing to come back from than people realize I mean it's almost commonplace anymore to tear an ACL which is brutal that to come back from that and to succeed after an ACL tear is still a difficult thing so certainly hope for the best here I, I hope he comes back stronger. That's all. That's all there really is to say about it. Somebody who is back, though, Cam Newton. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> and what the fuck was wrong with his voice, man? No idea. At the same time, he is back. That's pretty he exciting. He I, he looked great, and uh, reports I'm seeing are that he is going to be the starter for the Panthers going forward. It makes sense that they only had him in a few packages. I hate it. For PJ Walker, again, we're big PJ Walker fans here, but Cam Newton brings a different energy to that team. And are they home this week, back in Carolina? I'm pulling it up right now. I'll tell you this much: they are, they yeah, are Panthers fans. <laughs> Panthers fans are hype. Yeah, and he's playing. Against, I knew they were playing Washington. He's going up against Ron Rivera, former coach. 
that place is going to be electric this week. Absolutely wild. Glad he's getting the start, though. It felt like a weird way to leave the Panthers when he did, and then to just see him crumble in New England was it, just it felt, like it, a, it felt wrong. You know, it felt like a weird way for him to be leaving New England as well. True, absolutely true. But one last bit of NFL news I wanted to talk about here: the Green Bay Packers are offering more three hundred dollars pieces of toilet paper. Um, quote unquote shares in the organization. I mean, I know you say that. At the same time, if the Bears offered a three hundred dollars, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd buy one. I'd buy one. Like I'm not. <laughs> who would? You can who claim would, right? to pretend to be an owner of the team. <laughs> it, it is, you know, a uh, friend of mine growing up in the neighborhood, big Packers fans, and his dad had it framed. You know, and they they built an addition onto their house, kind of like his man cave area. They had Sunday tickets, so I was over there a lot of weekends anyway. And he had it framed. He had a buddy. I think that they split Sunday ticket with. That was also a Packers fan. They just sit there and watch the game, and they both had shares. And like I always thought, it was cool. Absolutely, is cool. I think this is the first time since 2011 that they have offered any. That sounds about right. The last time they did it, it was to renovate the stadium. According to NFL bylaws, apparently, they're only allowed to offer that in order to fix up, do work on the stadium or the grounds. They're not allowed to use it for operational expenses. And I will say, like, I, I love shitting on the Packers. I love hating the Packers. But how they've been able to maintain the integrity of Lambeau Field is something right. that I absolutely envy after seeing what happened to Soldier Field. Absolutely agree. So I guess this also means potential renovations or a potential rework of the surface of Lambeau Field, which wouldn't be opposed to. So anytime you can improve your stadium, it's usually a good thing. So I know there's a lot more details on the Green Bay Packers website. I have no idea how many shares they're going to be selling. $300 a piece, though, pretty, pretty sweet. Honestly, Honestly if I one for myself, and I'm not even a Packers fan at all. Yeah, if, if you are interested in buying one of these shares, there's a decent chance you're probably not listening to our podcast as a Packers fan. You're doing it because you think it'd be cool to do. True. True. We are not a pro Packers podcast in the slightest. <laughs> not at all. I mean, the two of us are less than enthusiastic about the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> but that's all I had for NFL. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about that? No, there's nothing I had for NFL. And I, I did put it up here for non-NFL Pro News this week. Uh, but, you know, I am a member of the fan council. Just wanted to throw it out there. We did our first set of surveys which is going to be kind of a big thing for the fan council members to do. And a lot of it is asking different ways that we've uh, ingested FCS content, for lack of a better term there. And I think the intent is to see how they can expand, how they can do more. So look forward to seeing FCS content, FCF content in different shapes and forms going forward. So for lack of a better term there, I don't know if you meant content or ingested. <laughs> Hopefully both. Yes. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump to college news. Plenty of stuff to talk about here. Let's start with the player injuries. Uh, Bo Nix, done for the season, getting surgery on his ankle, apparently. I mean, gosh, that really sucks to see. I know he's inconsistent at best. At the same time, when he's on, he's really freaking good. And that had to have been Auburn's best chance to 
upset Alabama if they South really Hood. had a chance at all. How many times have we seen a, a freshman come in and absolutely change the Iron Bowl, though? True, very true. And it's also still true that four out of the last five times they've played at Auburn, it's been Auburn's win. So we'll see how it goes. Anything can happen. I'm certainly rooting for Auburn in that one. Auburn's going <laughs> to win the football game. That was for you, Mason. Hey, 2013. <laughs> that was for me to you. Uh, let's talk about B. John Robinson next. He was a kind of a Heisman talk category of running back. I mean, Texas has not played to that level. B. John Robinson certainly fell out of that conversation because of that. He's done for the year, though. Elbow injury. I think he dislocated his elbow, which is, that sounds gross. I would rather not do that personally. So <laughs> that sucks. Um, I'm sure he'll be back next year. Still going to be carrying the entire offense on his back next year, too. I mean, that Texas team needed him, and they run very well with him. So it's, I guess it's effective to some extent, but. They just need a defense, man. Texas, that's the only thing. Especially going into the SEC. And and Tug likes to talk about it all the time, that running backs that get banged up, like it it really affects their draft stock. But I'm curious how an elbow injury would affect his draft stock. That's not a normal injury that you take into consideration when talking about a running back. What I am, what I do kind of start looking at is this this more indicative of being injury prone, sort of like CMC. Right. And I doubt that it is i haven't heard of any injuries for him even in high school and this is the first one he's had at texas i know he played all of last year so this is the second year at texas though anything can happen he's a little bit out of being draft eligible so we'll see how he does next year certainly rooting for the guy even though he should have been at ohio state come on man you know that story i think i've told you that story i think you did too his grandparents come on (laughs) um what are you writing? I've got one more injury that we – it's more influential to bring this I, – I, I don't know really where the best place to bring this up. Obviously, we'll get to our games and players to watch here later. My player to watch was Jaquan McMillan, who also, I think, went down in that game, and I'll talk more about that a little bit later. But I mentioned on the show last week that one of the reasons I want to watch him is how was he going to match up with Calvin Austin the third? He's had some lingering issues with his ankle – And this was the first game where he was really sidelined and ineffective because of it. Memphis has two really big games to get bowl eligible coming up against Houston and Tulane to finish out the year. I hope if he, yeah, I I would rather as a Memphis fan, see him not play against Houston, come back, help him beat Tulane and get better for a potential bowl game. And then the senior bowl. Man, that has to be part of the reason that he's not really being talked about as a draft prospect. He certainly has the talent for it, man. But yeah. those those ankles, pretty important things if you want to be running around the field. Yeah, especially with his speed. Like, it's it sucks. I think that's about it for the player news side of things now. Let's talk about coaches. Um, actually, before we do that, we have an athletic director to talk about. Miami, Florida has fired their athletic director. Um, interesting story here, and I don't know if this is ESPN congratulating themselves on being ESPN or if this is legitimate. I haven't found this from any other source, 
But apparently, <laughs> there is a source at Miami that said part of the reason they fired their athletic director is because of what Kirk Herbstreet said on College Game Day. Where he was talking about how Miami is never going to be successful again until they have a president, athletic director, and head coach who are all in alignment and they all agree on the direction the football team needs to take. Now, that is absolutely true. You do need those things. At the same time, how did Miami not know that until Kirk Street said it? I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I can say this firsthand, and it ties in perfectly with our next coaching fire, Justin Fuente. He is out at Virginia Tech. But when he came to Memphis, R.C. Johnson, the athletic director, had just gone out the door. Uh, the president had just left, and David Rudd took over. I can't remember her name for the life of me. I was at school when this happened, too. And they canned Larry Porter, bring in Justin Fuente. It took, it took a year or two for it to really get going. But that went from a program that arguably could have gone the way of UAB to what it is today where not making a bowl game is going to be extremely disappointing for the Memphis Tigers. I absolutely agree. And there's very obvious precedent for what Kirk said to be absolutely true. I'm just thinking it's hilarious that the U did it after he says that on game day. Right. Right. But with this, you kind of have to assume that Manny Diaz is going to be gone too. Right. That would make two ACC jobs open. As you just said, Justin Fuente is gone out of Virginia Tech. Very interesting spot there at the U because they think they're better than they are. If you look at how much money they spend on athletics, I mean, the reason they were successful is because they were cheating. Let's be real. When that stopped, they stopped being so successful. (laughs) Fair, I guess. Or not fair, technically. That's what cheating is. Anywho... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about that Justin Fuente move here a little bit. Um, the interim head coach now is going to be the co-defensive line coach. What? There's a co-defensive line coach. Wild, right? Okay. Um, but, yeah, so Justin Fuente is now on the market, and so is Virginia Tech. I know you want to talk about Fuente, and I'll talk about that job opening a little bit. Yeah, I mean – to me, Justin Fuente, and, and this goes for Mike Marvell as well, FSU and Virginia Tech both offered them money well exceeding what they possibly could have expected to receive at Memphis. So it makes sense that they left. And I know there's a decent amount of fans that have a bitter taste in their mouth about that. I personally would not mind seeing Fuente come back. I don't think that's going to happen. What I have seen a lot of people say is potentially him going to TCU. And my opinion on that is, if TCU you know, is good with what Jerry Kill is doing and what he's able to start building there, I don't think Jerry Kill takes the interim job if he doesn't want to get back into coaching to begin with. He's only 60 years old. I, I don't know. It's very – TCU is going to be a place to keep an eye on. I just don't know that Fuente is going to go there. But I do understand where the connection is coming from. He was just uh, – Jerry Kill was just an advisor at Virginia Tech for Justin Fuente this past season. And that was after giving up the athletic director job at SIU. So it's very interesting to see kind of what's going to go on with both those jobs. I agree. I think Jerry Kill is looking for a head coaching job, though. And like you said, if he took that interim job, that means he's at least interested in the full-time gig. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, too. 
I thought Justin Fuente was in a position to fail to begin with. I don't know. I, I, I think that job was absolutely the money because taking over for Frank Beamer was not a job anybody should have been seeking. And we talked about it too. Shane Beamer could potentially fill that role. And he, he's going to get probably about the same treatment that Scott Frost is getting at Nebraska. Right. And that would probably also be a promotion coming from South Carolina, as harsh as that sounds, really. I mean, the tradition at Virginia Tech is pretty solid compared to, you know, South Carolina was okay with Steve Spurrier. And they, I mean, that, anyway. <laughs> uh, there are a few other candidates that they would have to consider. I know Jamie Chadwell has got to be the top of that list, Coastal Carolina. If that job gets open, is that something Justin Fuente becomes interested in? That'd be fun. A little coach trade there between the two programs. And, and we've got two more jobs, you know, two more firings to get to. But another guy that people keep bringing up, even though I don't see it, is Luke Fickle. I don't know why he would leave Cincinnati at this point. The Big right. 12 is just around the corner. Well, especially not for a mid-tier Power 5 job like what Virginia Tech is. You're, you're going to move in and be a mid-tier Power 5 team right away anyway. Exactly. And Another... now, with the way the Big 12 is going, losing Oklahoma and Texas, Cincinnati very well could be at the top of the Big 12. I mean, not, not the pinnacle. They're not right. going to be number one in the Big 12 they're, right they're away. Still, they're, they're still going to have be... Baylor to deal with, you know. There's going to be, it's them, Oklahoma State, Baylor. TCU, when they're good. TCU every other couple of years. Uh, not Texas Tech, tell you that. <laughs> It'll be Cincinnati and BYU's conference there for a bit. Um, <laughs> another mid-tier Power 5 job is Washington. Uh, Jimmy Lake got fired. I know last week we had said he was suspended, and he was fired this week. Apparently, according to the athletic director, not exactly for the same reasoning. That suspension certainly had to factor in, though. Jimmy Leake has done a couple of things now that are just questionable. You can't really be pushing kids around as the head coach of a school. I mean, that wasn't even acceptable back in the 60s. You know, Woody Hayes got fired for that, so... Jimmy Lake doing it now on national television makes Washington look bad. I get it. They're also having a pretty bad season. And some of the expectations be, were high. Right. They lost to Montana for the first time since 1920. Right. Things like that you just can't get away with. Even if you were kind of groomed in the program, he was Chris Peterson's protege. Has not worked out. So Jimmy Lake's gone. Several options there for them, and actually on top of that list to me is Chris Peterson. See if he'll come out of retirement. He's still relatively young working for Fox. I don't know if he would, but you'd be kind of stupid not to ask, right? And also Jonathan, Jonathan Smith over at Oregon State. Washington is a little bit more of a high-profile position. I know it's in the same conference and the same division, but you have more money, you have more better academics. I could see that move potentially making sense for Jonathan Smith, and it would certainly feed into the rivalry that they want to create with Oregon. It's kind of a, to me, that's one of those like Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Penn State. It's one of those where it's like they play each other every year. 
They always have some decent games. It's not really a rivalry, though. And it feels like Washington has been building it up, trying to make it into something. So if they do that, I mean, Jonathan Smith would be the guy to do it with. Tell you what. Or potentially pulling a coordinator out of Oregon, or maybe, you know, pulling, uh, who's the guy at Boise State right now? Uh, Former Oregon defensive coordinator. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of the name, but I know who you're talking about. Andy Avalos. I mean, that's a potential name to look up for, look to as well. Even though he is in his first year at Boise State, that'd be kind of wild, but possible. Um, other job opening up recently. This one's a group of five position. Butch Davis is out at FIU. Butch Davis is a name that's been around coaching for a very long time. I first remember the name as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Not really all that long ago, honestly. He, um, he got him to one playoff appearance. All right, that's more right. than a lot of recent Cleveland Browns coaches can say. That was that 2002 wild card loss to Pittsburgh. Three point but, loss, brutal. I know, but uh, yeah, Butch Davis had some harsh words for FIU's administration. I don't know how much of this is true, and how much of this is Davis being mad that he got fired. Midseason, but if what he's saying is true, this is really bad and a prime example of why FIU was not invited to the American, even though they certainly seem like they have the money for it. So, per Butch Davis, FIU refused to pay for any new equipment. They've had the same gear for their team for the last five years, uh, which is not how Division One college football works. It's not even anymore. how like good high schools work. Right. Um, They refuse to offer multi-year deals to assistant coaches. (laughs) I mean, come on. You you can't do that. Have they they not looked at what Alabama's doing? Like, and I understand that not everybody has the money to be Alabama, but their formula is pretty great. Right. And, oh my gosh, FIU has the most money of anybody in Conference USA. By a lot. You'd think they'd be able to do something. Um, They wouldn't allow coaches to go out and recruit this year due to COVID-19 restrictions, and they didn't want to spend money on recruiting. (laughs) Uh, A great way to build up your program there, FIU. Really, really smart. Also found it fascinating that if you go to the American Football Coaches Association website, as of last month, you can find Butch Davis's job posted there head coach at FIU. Apparently the players found out about this and were like, um, okay, so I guess we don't have a head coach anymore. As of a month ago, when Butch Davis didn't even know he was fired yet. Wild. I gotta say, too, like, I don't know anything about FIU's roster currently, but I gotta imagine these kids are gonna be looking at the transfer portal. I mean, I... You get recruited by Butch Davis and his team, and then the school just gives up on him, doesn't tell anybody until, you know, a month later. Right. I, I wouldn't hop be a part of the program. Even just hop over to Florida Atlantic, at least there you'll have a, a program that cares. I mean, this is insane. Um, 
Some people say that's not exactly true, though. Butch Davis is exaggerating some things, which, okay, that's possible. And I do understand that there are some guys with FIU ties in the area that could make sense as potential head coaching hires. I know UCF's offensive coordinator uh, was from FIU, so that might make sense there. Even though UCF's offense isn't anything overly special this season, I don't know what kind of big name FIU is going to pull. So kind of make some work with what connections you have, I guess, right? I guess they're not willing to pay for anything more than that anyway. Apparently not. (laughs) At least not according to Butch Davis. But speaking of Conference USA there, pretty interesting stuff. The, you know, Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State leaving to go to the MAC talk has officially died now out of nowhere. The MAC just said, actually, no, we don't want to expand after all. Absolutely brutal for that to leak everywhere. And Western Kentucky was like really hyped about going to the MAC. And then the MAC's just like, mm, never mind. Nah. I, mean, I still don't think Conference USA is surviving. I, I, actually, I'll rephrase that. They're surviving barely, which is what they've been able to do for how long at this point? Right. Man, it's. They're surviving. They're definitely not thriving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're in a bad spot. But at least they have Sam Houston State now, right? Coming up. That's uh good for them. Let's be the FCS springboard. That's what we're good for. That's why we're here. Conference USA. Come join. You know, if it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about actually good teams now, why don't we? <laughs> That'll be nice. So we have the college football playoff rankings out because we're recording this on Tuesday, as you said. We also have the BDT trench ratings out for this week. And pretty interesting to make some direct one-to-one comparisons here between how the trench ratings work and how the playoff committee works. I will say, first off, there are two teams in the committee's top 10 that are not in our top 10. And that would be, namely, Oregon the committee has all the way up at number three, is not in our top ten. And also, um, Michigan State. Michigan State's not in our top ten. And they're which number makes, seven to the committee. It, it, which makes sense when their whole offense is one player and their defense isn't anything special. And with how badly they lost to Purdue, I mean, that was just actually kind of brutal. In, in a trap game that everybody knew was coming. And then especially when you juxtapose that to what Purdue was unable to do against Ohio state the very next week. Right. So interesting though, that we do have some of the same teams at the same position or at least really close to it. I mean, Ohio state's at number four in both of our rankings. Georgia's number one in both of our rankings. Right. So that's some synergy. (laughs) <laughs> the committee has Wake Forest at 10. We have them at 9. They have Oklahoma State at 9. We have Oklahoma State at 8. They have number 8, Notre Dame. We have Notre Dame at number 6, which is fascinating because you say, well, we just skipped number 7 in the BDT trench ratings. Who's number 7? That's Alabama, who the committee has at number 2. Um, it's all about that money. I don't feel bad about that, though, because let's be real. There have been plenty of 
scares for Alabama where they could have lost. Like, I don't know, Florida, for example, which <laughs> almost got whooped by Samford this last weekend. That was <laughs> an absolutely wild game. 70 to 56 with an FCS team. I mean, you just can't do that. But anyway, that's Not this late in the season for sure. I, I I don't know how we weren't talking about Dan Mullen getting fired, honestly. I right. I I agree. Dan Mullen needs to find uh Yeah, he needs to go. <laughs> uh, two teams that we have in our top ten that the committee does not UTSA and San Diego State. Now I kind of understand where they're coming from. UTSA does not have a very good strength of schedule. At the same time, they're undefeated. They're one of three undefeated teams left in the country. It's got to mean something. It has I, to. I mean, think got, it should. Our, I mean, I'll just say it. Georgia's at one. Michigan's at two. We'll talk about that more here in a second. Undefeated Cincinnati is at three, which arguably is where they should be in the college football playoff poll as well. Ohio State at four. UTSA at five. They're, you know, Our three undefeated teams are in our top five. I don't think that's controversial to say. And, you know, I, every time I put these on Facebook and people are like, how, how are these teams up there? It's like, well, the reason we have it programmed into our ratings that playing an FCS school matters way significantly less than playing an FBS opponent is because the scholarship count. Like, right. I get it. I get it. Georgia's got tons of five stars backing up five stars. Uh, Ohio State, Alabama, same story there. But they all have the same amount of scholarships as Cincinnati, as UTSA. Trust me, I get it. But you can't honestly look at me too and say that the SEC has been all that impressive this year. To a lesser degree, I don't think the Big Ten's been all that impressive either. So really, where do you start saying, oh, well, they're in a weaker conference, so they shouldn't be ranked as high? I just, I don't, I don't agree with that argument at all. I don't know that I would agree that the Big Ten has not been impressive. I think there's three really good teams on one division over there. In the SEC, you kind of have two teams, which is almost the same every year. It's Alabama and somebody. But and this Alabama, time, somebody happens to be Georgia on the other side. So, And like you said, Alabama's had plenty of scares. They have not looked like this typical Alabama team where – even last year with the national championship game, like we all thought it was going to be a much better game than it ended up being. I don't mean to pull open a, a scab there or anything, but I don't. If Alabama does end up in the playoff, they win the you know they win the SEC. Alabama ends up in the playoffs. I don't see them going through, even playing number four in their first game. I don't see them going through them like they did the entire playoffs last year. I just don't see it. I don't either. It's not the same team. It's but not. one thing one thing I wanted to talk about here, one thing I find really interesting, the Big 12's best hope right now for making the playoff is Oklahoma State. Like, who would have predicted that at the beginning of the year? And also, it's very possible that Oklahoma State ends up jumping Cincinnati with the way the committee has it worked out right now. They would beat Oklahoma twice to be able to do that, right, in theory. So that's <laughs> it's actually pretty possible that that ends up happening, and that's just 
I hate that. I hate that that's possible. I I do too. And you know, you mentioned. Damn, they don't have them on the schedule twice. It, it it's interesting because we're talking about the two conferences that don't have divisions anymore: the Big Twelve and the American Athletic Conference. Cincinnati is not going to have the opportunity to beat Houston twice, and likely it'll be Cincinnati and Houston in that championship game. But I wonder if this was a situation like uh, like two years ago when Memphis beat Cincinnati in back-to-back weeks. Had Memphis won against Temple and put themselves in the same position that Cincinnati is in, I wonder if beating the same team twice, once in the regular season and then again in the conference championship, how much that elevates you. Because, yeah, Oklahoma State's going to have to do that to get to the playoff for sure. Would that apply to a group of five schools as well? Really don't know. I just see it as the only conversation that Cincinnati wins right now with the committee, the way they have it shaped out, would be against Notre Dame. I mean, that too, and it's, you know, we mentioned that, and Notre Dame, again, has not been overly impressive this year. Right, I agree. The committee has this set up to make the teams that they want in look good because four-loss Mississippi State is still ranked all the way at 25, but they're in that top 25. Oh, by the way, it's because Alabama beat them. You know, I say that I agree. Notre Dame's not been all that impressive. I still have them as five points better than Alabama in the BDT trench ratings. That just shows how dominant Georgia has been because they're like the only team that everyone believes in at this point. I don't know if there's a second team that anyone can actually agree on right now. Weren't we talking about Kirby Smart potentially being on some type of hot seat before the season started, too? Like, I feel like at least, if it wasn't you and me, at least Tug might have had that opinion. I think we were talking about how he perpetually underperforms, and if he doesn't start actually producing with this talent, he might find his way onto the hot seat. I don't think we were talking about it, like, this season. But, I mean, yeah, this is the first time I can remember that Georgia has lived up to their preseason hype in any way. And they're the only team to have done so. That's pretty wild. College football is upside down, man. It really is. The one team I want to talk a little bit more about, we got San Diego State at 10. And we didn't spend a ton, you know, we mentioned it, didn't spend a ton of time there. I'm curious. I'm curious what's going on in the Mountain West and how San Diego State can maybe help themselves with the college football playoff committee as well, maybe crack into that top 15 potentially with Cincinnati, maybe getting into a, a playoff spot, potentially San Diego state gets into a new year six bowl. It is possible. The thing really holding them back with the committee is that 10 point loss at home against Fresno state. Now Fresno state is a pretty good team though. I personally don't hold it against San Diego state all that much especially considering how good Fresno State's offense is, right? I mean, that's just totally different style of team. And uh, San Diego State has beaten some pretty solid teams as well this year, including Utah, who's going to end up playing for the Pac-12 title. So somehow. Right. Man, they did not look like they earned that earlier in the season, but they're going to sneak their way in there. Um, I don't know what San Diego State could possibly do to get the committee to believe in them. 
I don't know that there really is a path for that to happen. I think that your best shot for the group of five um, auto bid there is going to be UTSA. I really do. I think uh, if I don't disagree with you on that at all. I think they'll end up ranked higher than San Diego State if they stay undefeated, actually finish the year undefeated, which I would say that they should as well. We'll just have to see what happens. I also don't like, don't really like that scenario. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I hate that we have to limit it to one team. <laughs> I would like to see San Diego State be able to compete in a, in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that they would actually probably do pretty awesome. But, think about how great it would be for that program, too. I mean, right? Texas is football crazed anyway, and now UTSA is kind of adding to the list of schools worth going to to play football at. Right. I mean, that's wild. Wow. I'm also wondering how the committee is going to handle BYU and how, like, the bowl selections are going to handle BYU. Like, I don't think they would be able to eat up the group of five spot, right? They're independent. Yeah. They would have to be at large, right? I think they would try and make them eat up the group of five spot, which is, you know, simply goes to show the only independent they really care about is Notre Dame. Right. Gosh. You imagine an undefeated army, and then, like, you know, you're a group of five team. <laughs> Man, the committee's gross. That's enough about that. Let's talk about these games that just happened this weekend. It was actually a fantastic week of college football, so I want to get these games. So Tug's not here, but we still want to talk about NC State Wake Forest because it, that game was incredible. So I'm going to talk about that one and then hand it over to Bug, and then I'll talk about my game. So, yeah, let's start with NC State Wake Forest because that game was incredible. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. I ended up 42-45. I know Tug wasn't actually able to watch this game, so I was like trying to give him text updates every so often. He assumed the game was over, about eight minutes left. At that point, the game was like, I think, 35-28. to 28. <laughs> Wake Forest <laughs> with eight minutes left. So all that happened in the fourth quarter. I got to say, this was one of the most entertaining ACC football games I have seen in a very long time. And I know we've just had some close ones. You know, Pitt, uh, or not Pitt, um, Wake Forest, North Carolina was last, last week. week. Yeah. And that one technically wasn't an ACC game, didn't count for the conference standings. So There you go. That's, that's uh, what I was going to say, too. But there, no, there have been some fantastic games here this season. But I'm, I mean, this is going to go down for me personally as one of the all-time great ACC games. I'm not kidding. This was a knockdown slugfest of a game the entire way, and it wasn't like the defenses were playing poorly. It was legitimately there were some great offensive moments and some huge plays. It just. Everybody rose to the occasion on offense for both teams. Wake Forest held on to win this one. It was such a close game, and NC State is a very good football team. 
I still believe that, even though the committee probably doesn't even have them ranked anymore. But, I mean, gosh, this this was awesome. I know his player to watch was an offensive lineman for NC State, so it's going to be hard. We don't have any stats for him. At the same time, man, I I think there are a couple of guys on the NC State team that are draft-worthy. He's up there as the best of them. I would take Yves Mukwanu in the top 15 of the draft. He is a versatile offensive lineman. He is a very powerful offensive lineman. He's fun to watch. But, man, that NC State offense as a whole, it just came up just a hair short. And we were talking about how closely matched these two teams were, even just last week. Man, that certainly played out, too. This was awesome. I think my comparison was, what did I say? I think this was my favorite ACC game since Louisville at Clemson when Lamar Jackson was playing for Louisville. Mm -hmm. Like, that game was... An all-time classic for me. The fact I remember that game. It, I don't care about either school, really. <laughs> I mean, you went to Louisville, so I mean, I, there's at least that. It doesn't mean I care about the team. but I mean, that's, that's fair. And th- this game is up there. Man, this was awesome. Yeah, and it lived up to the hype. My, you know, another game that we had was my game. Uh, battle for the Big Golden Boot. Arkansas traveling to Death Valley to take on LSU. It took overtime for this one, and Arkansas wins by a field goal 16-13. to 13. Kind of a sloppy game, kind of a boring game, but I was watching it with an Arkansas fan, so it was more exciting for me in that regard. And the ending was very exciting. The ending was very exciting. I, I've said it earlier this year when talking about the Razorbacks. KJ Jefferson is the heart and soul of this team. He is the future of this team. They need to make some changes to how this offense works. Way too many trick plays from Arkansas this week and way too many plays of only two or three yards. And that's not just runs. That was passing routes that were run two or three yards downfield. Got to do something to fix that offense. LSU, I thought, was going to be checked out with Ed O on his way out in a very weird announcement that he was going to finish the season and not be back next year. They're not checked out. They still look like a great team. I think they're on like their third quarterback this year, and he was looking pretty good. I think the future is bright for LSU as well. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this game again next year. I'll say that for sure. It's almost like Ed Orgeron is his own interim head coach at this point. It's it's very, very odd. I just want to say it sounds to me, and looked to me like Arkansas is playing as if they are a less talented team. And that was true historically. That's the kind of stuff that Purdue does that makes them so scary because if they break a couple of those weird trick plays or short yardage throws, if they can break a couple of them, just get outside and outspeed somebody, it works. But when it doesn't work, I mean, it, it gets shut down pretty hard. You can't play that way when you're evenly matched, evenly talented. And with that new quarterback there, K.J. Jefferson, I think they're talented enough not to have to do that. It's just that's what Arkansas feels like they have to do right now. They have a couple of pieces. I don't think they need to anymore. But, you know, they're having their best season of the last several years. So, 
Uh, it's oh, definitely their best string of seasons that they've had. I mean, last year they were no slouch either. They finally looked like they were turning that corner. I just feel like they're extending the turning of the corner, I guess, so to speak. They could be they could be taking massive strides forward. It feels like they're content with taking baby steps, which is kind of depressing to see. But I have no doubt that Sam Pittman is going to be able to lead this team forward and get them where they need to be. So to me, it seems like last year, I mean, Arkansas didn't have a great record last year, but there was certainly some fight to that team. It feels to me a lot like that's what Nebraska is this year. Their record is awful, but man, every game except for one has been one score. They've been putting up crazy good fights every time they've gone out on the field. So maybe we'll see a resurgence out of Nebraska soon. I wouldn't be all that surprised. Everyone expected it. Scott Frost got there. So if he can turn it around, maybe it'll be the year after Adrian Martinez. <laughs> and he, I mean, there's definitely enough there for to think that Scott Frost can do it, not just in his resume preceding his time at Nebraska, but you're right with what they've done this year. I don't think there's any reason to really think that they aren't, which, you know, losing to <laughs> Illinois to open the season, Illinois, I don't know. They've they've stagnated. We're getting off topic here, but I mean, you know, stay in the Big Ten West, I guess. My game was Minnesota at Iowa. And I expected this one to be very close. And it wasn't gonna be like a showcase of world class football here, but it was gonna be a pretty good football game. That's pretty much exactly what it ended up being. I want to like Tanner Morgan, and I've wanted to like him for like three or four years now, it feels like. He just never produces at the level I think that he should. So I don't know what to make of Minnesota with him at the helm anymore. It just, they feel like they have a ceiling to them, and that ceiling is a little bit below Iowa. That's kind of a rough spot to be. You want to be competing for the division title, which I think Minnesota is capable of doing. Actually, I know they're capable of doing with P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck's a pretty good coach. It's just a matter of getting the right guys in the right positions, and Tanner Morgan is just good enough not to get benched is what it feels like to me anymore. That's really depressing to say, too, because he definitely has, like, like Martinez, he's had a lot of promise to him. For whatever reason, it's not working out, and I I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's just ride it out, start building something around the team, which P.J. Flack has been doing to begin with, and kind of see where it t- takes off from there. I don't think there's any reason that Minnesota is going to be a perennial, I don't want to say bottom feeder, but perennial bottom of the middle, I guess, would be more uh, more accurate for where they have been. Yeah, it's a it's a rough spot. We'll see how PJ Fleck can maneuver that. But we had our picks for this week. I took Iowa in that game for no great reason. I mean, they're starting a backup quarterback, and I still took Iowa. How stupid am I? But Iowa won, so I guess I'm not stupid. Oh. I think it was I think it was <laughs> Iowa's offense that really scared me away from that. Not that Minnesota's has been world beating this year, but seeing how bad Iowa's offense has looked at times, that's kind of what shied me away from picking them. Well, especially without their starting quarterback, right? It doesn't make sense that they would put up a respectable offensive performance for the first time in several weeks, mm-hmm. you know, here. But 
it's what happened. It was pretty wild. 27-22 there. Uh, also, I took Arkansas. I know we all took Arkansas. He's kind of been our feel-good story of the year. Past two years, really. Kind of, Honestly, you know, we, yeah. We joke about being a Bears podcast. I think uh, an Arkansas podcast is equally as, uh, as accurate. And I think that's why Tug took him, too. I, I don't want to speak for him too much, but I definitely took into consideration the whole situation around LSU. I didn't even know anything about the quarterback situation there going into this game. But, man, the situation they're in with Edo, like, you can't not take that in consideration when talking about an LSU game right now. Very true. It's, it's uh, heartening to see them still have this much fight in them, though, got to say. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That game did go down to the wire. And that says a lot about the, the guys that they brought into that program. Edo might not have gotten the best talent. He might not be the best recruiter in the world. I think we're starting to see that. But he's definitely got guys that care. And that's something I don't think you can ever take away from him. You know, even as an LSU fan, whatever negatives you have to say about Ed Orgeron, you've got to appreciate the fact that his guys don't quit. Absolutely. I will say I did go 3-0 and this week. I also took Wake Forest. I didn't have a great reason for taking Wake Forest, though. It was basically a coin flip to me. You took Wake Forest at well, as well. Do you have a better reason? Home team, man. Home yeah. team. And I think the reason Tug took NC State was a lot of what I was praising about them. They are a more physical team. I just think Wake Forest is a better team. And, you know, we talked about this being a very even matchup going into this week. It absolutely was. It played out like that on the field. I haven't looked at all how all of our ratings have shaked out for these two teams since this game. I got to imagine they're still very, very close together. When you got two evenly matched teams like this, though, I you know, maybe I overvalued Minnesota. I definitely think I overvalued uh, uh, Arkansas a little bit. But again, I kind of talked about my reasoning there. Home field advantage is such a big thing in college football. I think that ultimately was the big tiebreaker for these two teams that we have metrics on of being so evenly matched. And again, talking about last week, the not ACC ACC matchup, Wake Forest had to be pissed losing the, and to uh, North Carolina like that. I know I would be. <laughs> Man, North Carolina is like just good enough to be annoying this year. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Um, it's certainly good for me to get some breathing room against Tug here. Now I have a three-game advantage on him. And you are closed in on 500, my friend. You're catching up. Yet again. One game below. I just need another decent week to get back above, and then I'm sure I'll get back below again before long. <laughs> That's how my college football season's been. You're still better at college than I am at the NFL, but we're not there yet. Had some bonus <laughs> games to talk about. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma at Baylor. I mean... Goodness, I don't feel like we talked about this one enough yet at all. Baylor, like, legitimately is a better team. They played way more physical. They played just all around better for the entire four quarters. Yeah, I I don't know. Then they stormed the field prematurely. True. Have to get True, the fans. But I do have to say, I mean... Baylor's head coach called that timeout. I don't think anybody was expecting that. 
Well, they got to get the points, I guess, to help them with the conference championship game. This is why the Big 12 needs divisions, which is why adding teams helps helps the conference as a whole. Man, it's wild times in the Big 12. Also at Purdue at Ohio State. Ohio State actually putting it in the end zone this time around. Felt good, man, got to say. Uh, a lot of people talking about how it was kind of a dominant win. I disagree. I mean, Purdue still put up 31 points. Purdue is not a bad team based on this game. But it's going to be pretty telling here this weekend. Michigan State coming to town where the men separate themselves from the boys. <laughs> two two pivotal games for the Buckeyes coming up here. Well, a third one, too, assuming they get past these first two. Right. It's going to be three, four straight ranked teams if that happens. So, you know, Texas A&M at Ole Miss, very interesting one here with Texas A&M losing that one the way that they did to Ole Miss really controlled the game from start to finish. This is the same Texas A&M team that beat Alabama, right? I mean, how did that happen? And then Alabama made Ole Miss look silly. Right. I just, this is what I'm saying. Like, the SEC is not what people have been calling it and giving it credit for the past couple years. And I think we need to start paying more attention to that. The argument has always been that the Pac-12 beats up on itself. The Pac-12 is just not good this year. I think we're starting to see the SEC beat up on itself a little bit. They just have teams good enough, like Georgia, Alabama, you know, even with one loss. Again, they haven't looked great. They could easily have two or three, in my opinion. Overall, though, the teams are just good enough to separate themselves enough from the rest of the conference that really the ones at the top are not getting beat up by the rest of the conference like we see typically in the in the Pac-12. Still wild to me. Texas A&M beat a Colorado team this season 10-7. to So <laughs> I don't know what to make the SEC, man, this year. I think you're right. It's not as good as it has been. But, you know. There's still Georgia and there's still Alabama, so it is what it is. A last FBS bonus game we wanted to talk about, Boston College at Georgia Tech. Man, with Phil Yurkovich back, this Boston College offense actually looks pretty good again. I know Georgia Tech's record isn't all that great. It feels like a better Georgia Tech team this year than last year. I certainly don't expect them to compete with Georgia but I think that might be coming up in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, they've uh, they've shown a lot of promise and a lot of talent this year. It seems like it's been a little streaky. This is the first time they've had, I wouldn't say a good showing and a loss. I, I think that is probably the best descriptor here for them, though. They've had some huge wins. They've had some bad losses. But this was a pretty good game for them on all sides. So I... I don't know. I'm in, I'm interested to see what the rest of the season holds for him. And getting away from that option offense style is going to just help them at the end. They really do need to be recruiting with the rest of the ACC. So I yeah. think this helps them too. Uh, moving on to FCS games, Eastern Kentucky at Sam Houston State. Sam Houston ran away with it. I will say, though, Eastern Kentucky's quarterback threw four touchdowns, no picks. 
pretty good game for him. <laughs> that defense allowed 42 points, though. So not enough. Yeah, Sam Houston State walked away with it. Richmond over Delaware did not expect this one to be a blowout. Certainly was 52, 51-27. Uh, wow. The close game this week was Mercer at home against Chattanooga, 10-6. Mercer kind of clinching the division. I, I guess not technically yet, but I don't see a way they lose that division now, which this puts them in line. This very well may be the first time Mercer makes the FCS playoffs. Pretty awesome. Gotta love it. Eastern Washington at UC Davis this week as well. 38 to 20. UC Davis was a one loss top five team in the country. Eastern Washington comes in to their home turf, beats them by 18 points. Eric Barrier is showing that he's still the real deal. Man, there are some good quarterbacks right now at the FCS level. One that we haven't talked about yet at all. I haven't really found a great time to talk about Alabama A&M. Akil Glass, dude. He is legit. I got to give a shout out to uh, SIU as well. You know, we talked about they had two losses back to back, how that was going to hurt them. They went into Indiana State and played a team that they've got a longstanding rivalry with that they have always typically played pretty close and just blew them out of the water, controlled the game from start to finish. I also got to give props to the Salukis because I don't know if they've been doing this every week, and maybe this is the first time I just stumbled across it on Twitter, but they released a tweet with their players of the week, and it not only included an offensive and defensive player, it also included guys that are just scout team players, right? Something that gets overlooked pretty much everywhere. You know, we every now and then we see stories about uh, NFL guys that are, you know, practice squad guys that, you know, I think the one that comes to mind the most for me is Peyton Manning buying a practice squad guy a suit to go to the Super Bowl in, you know, a $5,000 suit because he was sitting there simulating playing as Cam Newton for that Super Bowl. Those guys don't get enough credit, and I think it's a real class move. They were able to recognize those guys that help their team be as successful as they are on the field. I always love it when Ohio State names their champions for the week and you see the practice squad champions. It's always like these fourth, fifth-year walk-on guys who just love Ohio State football. And, you know, I would rather play on the practice squad here than go start for a MAC team kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, we had some players to watch as well. And I know I talked about Ika Mukwanu already a little bit here. I really do believe he's worthy of a top 15 pick to me you're looking at draftable offensive linemen you're looking at evan neal is number one right tackle out of alabama probably can play both sides i would like to see him at left tackle though more than anything yeah he's really good other than him there's some guys kind of in the conversation who's next ika mcquanu is certainly in that conversation though I would not be surprised to see him end up going top 10 in this draft. He is a big physical guy. And if he tests well, it only help his stock. Absolutely. And I guess I'll move on to my players since you've got to, you got to talk about your player as well. 
I took Jaquan McMillan, and I talked about him a little bit already. Uh, I do think he went out with an injury and never returned sometime in the third quarter, which I help, think helped clear the way for that Memphis ECU game to go to overtime. Again, shout out to ECU. First time they're bowl eligible since I think like 2015. That's awesome for the program. Third they're back and nobody really saw this one coming for them either. Uh, but he, he had an impact, right? Three solo tackles. He's still one of the leading tacklers on the team and interception and pass deflection. One of those was in the end zone and probably is what helped them seal the win in that game. Now it was obviously it was earlier in the game, but you make a red zone, big red zone, pass deflection interception. That's a big impact on the game. So didn't hear his name called a lot, which was great. Sounded like Memphis was game planning for him. Ultimately, didn't work out in the end. And I hope he's okay and able to re- make a return to help his team as this year finishes out here. Absolutely. Never wish an injury on anybody. I had Boye Mafe. This guy is kind of your stand up edge rusher out in Minnesota. And he was shut down, which is what I was really looking to see. You know, normally with my players to watch, I'm taking a guy who's like lower end draft grade, you know, maybe a late round kind of prospect if they can actually perform up to their potential. And Boye Mafe had some conversation around him potentially sneaking into the draft. But I wanted to see how he would do against the zone blocking scheme of a team like Iowa. And he really got held in check. So... I don't think it was a bad pick. I still wanted to see how he would do, but only come away with one tackle and be my player to watch. That feels bad. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that again. It's a yucky <laughs> oh, feeling. I'm going to be better, guys. I promise. I think this is the best showing I've had by a defensive player to watch that I've ever picked ever. So I even even with the injury, you know, I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, Jaquan McMillan's a good player, and seeing him against. Memphis, you know, you said it sounds like the game planned against him. He still had that kind of stat line. That's pretty impressive. There's only one way to follow up an incredible Saturday of college football, and that's with a mediocre Sunday of NFL football, right? This Sunday was absolutely mediocre. I, it, there were a couple of good games, but, man, this was this was not a great Sunday of NFL football by any stretch of the imagination. But with Tug not here, I think you ought to take his game and player to watch. I took his for college, so only fair, right? Uh, which one do you want to go first? I, you know, let's let's keep it going. Let's start with Tugs here. He took Cleveland at New England. It was seven to forty-five as a final score there. Rough. And I I gotta think that Nick Chubb missing from the offense is what hurt the Cleveland offense more than OBJ being gone. But, man, they had to go pass-heavy. Baker Mayfield and that type of dude, and we know he's nursing some injuries still. Add to it that they had a plethora of injuries on that defense, and Mac Jones balled out. Tough day for the Browns all around. We all picked them to win, and it did not go our way at all. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Maybe Bill Belichick did. You kind of even doubt that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 45 to 7. Unreal. That is that is an ass-whooping. 
unlike I think anybody has ever seen. I don't know about that. We saw it. We saw it on Saturday with Alabama and I know, New I Mexico know. State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's sandwich that with my game. I had New Orleans at Tennessee, and I took it because I had a feeling that it might be a good game. With Derrick Henry out and with Saints not really having a quarterback, felt like that kind of evened it out, right? I mean, Derrick Henry <laughs> kind of is that Titans offense. Um, Drew Brees used to be that offense, and Alvin Kamara has not been as good without a consistent quarterback presence. So it felt like it'd be a pretty even game. Turned out that it was. I mean, this was pretty even the whole way through, actually. Ended 23-21. Two-point conversion failed for the Saints at the end there, or else it would have gone to overtime. But, man, I mean, Randy Bullock had a day. Give him that. It is what it is, man, and I don't know. The Saints are in a tough spot, right? We've said it before. We've said it a million times. When you've got two QBs, you have none. And they're definitely in that situation right now with Teddy Bridgewater being out. Or, sorry, Jameis Winston being out. <laughs> Somebody's <They play>. out. <laughs> who cares who it is? Dude, it's it's not good. It's not good what's going on with them right now. And I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens here. Camaro was out for them this week as well, too. There was, you know, two star running backs missing from this game. I will say, though, this is one of the big things that it makes it hard for me to talk about the NFL. Uh, I don't follow the NFL as closely as I do college, right? So, you know, to have these kind of games where it just looks like a bad game, right? It feels like a bad game. But then you look at Tennessee's 8-2, and and they have the NFL's longest winning streak going right now. And people are talking about them like they're a really good team. It's like, well, watching this game, if this were a collegiate football game, I don't think anyone would be talking about either of these teams right now. (laughs) No, this is the, this felt like the Minnesota-Iowa of the NFL this weekend. And nobody's talking about how great Iowa is for winning that one. So in the NFL, it's all about just win and keep moving. You know, take it one game at a time, literally win by one point, that's fine. It's not the way it is in college. It feels very different to be talking about these kind of games. Absolutely, man. And it's kind of worth, you know, bringing up as we lead into my game of the week to watch, which was the Buffalo Bills traveling to New Jersey to play the New York Jets. And they won 45-17. to Now, part of that probably was a little bit of built-up frustration. Uh, but it was also the fact that Mike White had a horrible game. He was my player to watch, so I'll I'll talk a little bit more about him later here. But Joe Flacco came in, and that was the first time the Jets' offense really looked alive, or at least consistent, I guess is probably the better word. The line play for the Jets this week was dismal, and that ultimately was where Buffalo won this game. Tug says it every week. You can't win a game if you can't win in the trenches, and, man, the Jets had no shot in that department this week. Before we get talking about Mike White, though, let's talk about our picks. I know you said we all picked the Browns. I think we all picked the Bills as well. So 
That was my only win of the week, though. I thought the Saints might pull this out for some reason. Hey, it was a lot closer than I think most people expected. At the same time, yeah, the Titans won. So, You know, I, I picked the Bills because they're the better team. I picked the Titans because I think they're the better team. I picked the Browns because they're the better team. And Maybe not. Two, I mean, yeah, 45 I mean, to 7. That's pretty convincing. Right. I don't know, man. It was... It was bad. I am well under 500, though, on the year, 13 and 17. That is also known as not good. So I just got to 10 losses this week, and that was, what, week 10? So yeah. I think I'm on a pretty good clip here for the NFL. See, you're doing better in the NFL than I am in college, and I'm doing worse in the NFL than you are in college. And it's like we're – Tug's right in the middle of both of us, man. Just hanging out in the middle. <laughs> we do have one bonus game to talk about, though. Oh, gosh. Do we Get have off. to? <laughs> I don't see how the Pittsburgh Steelers draft anything but a quarterback in the first round this year. Mason Rudolph is not the answer. Maybe you need to give Dwayne Haskins more consideration than you are. Oh, I just saw it. a report today that the front office has said he's extremely lazy in practice now, Dwayne Haskins. So I don't think he's getting a shot anytime soon. I mean, probably not. If at all. I, I can't completely blame him, though. You're going to trot out Mason Rudolph over Dwayne Haskins? Like, and I'm not an Ohio State fan. I'm not an Ohio State homer at all. You really think Mason Rudolph is that much better than Dwayne Haskins? I don't know, man. I They're... I'm interested to see what Tomlin is able to do once Big Ben leaves, if he sticks around after Big, Big Ben leaves. Tying the steel or tying the Lions though in a game that looked very winnable for the Lions. Oh, man, I it, it it was more frustrating because it just led me back to thinking about last Monday night, and that was when they had a healthy Big Ben and they did not look like the better team against the Bears. It's disgusting it really is and man the lines are so bad they can't even lose every game and even when they don't lose they still aren't good enough to win it's i will say though the one good thing for the lions is that they will not go down in history as the first 0 and 17 team at least not this year so that's something to, to positive to take out of this one i guess not much though not much positive there Small victories, take them where you can. Man, we could get into a huge conversation about how the NFL needs to get rid of ties, and I really don't want to. But dear God, fix this shit. This is ridiculous. I would be so happy if they went to the old college overtime rules. That'd just be so fun. I know it's not everybody likes them. It's too wild at times. But man, is it enjoyable. More enjoyable than ending in a tie. Absolutely. Let's talk about our players to watch now. Again, Bug, you're going to take two of them, and I got the one in the middle. So, probably save Mike White for last. What do you say? Yeah, we'll save Mike White for last, starting with Tugs. Yeah, he had to Ernest Johnson, the running back for the Browns. 19 carries, 99 yards. Solid game. If he could have added a touchdown found his way into the end zone somehow, some way. I think that 
probably gives Cleveland a little bit of a boost and maybe they don't get embarrassed mm-hmm. like they did. But it's tough, man. They they were behind it the whole way. Yeah, they just came out flat, I guess. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> 45 to 7. I don't know much there is to say. Uh, that's a that's a burn the tape kind of a game right there. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, <laughs> if you're the Browns. Um, my player to watch is Kevin Byard, safety for the Tennessee Titans. Just a guy that we haven't talked much about. And I know really based on production, based on the awards he's gotten, even based on the contract he's gotten, Titans certainly recognize him as one of the best safeties in the NFL. And he played like it, really. I mean, look at his stats, six tackles, one pass defended. Doesn't look like much. You don't want your safety being the leader in tackles, though. Being number three on the team, that's pretty good, right? One pass defended doesn't necessarily mean that you only were involved in one play. It means that maybe you only got targeted a couple of times, and that's certainly what happened to Kevin Byard here. People don't throw his way all that often if they can help it. So Kevin Byard is still a very good safety. This wasn't about the stats for me this week. It was more about just getting his name out there. I wanted to talk about him a little bit and recognize a great player. He certainly is. Absolutely. And that leads us to Mike motherfucking White for the New York <laughs> football J-E-T-S Jets. Look, I already said it. The team looked better with Joe Flacco in at quarterback. Mike White, 24-44. 251 yards. Not bad. The completion percentage is horrible. But four of his incompletions were actually completed to the other team. He also had one sack, and that sack is what ended up taking him out of the game. He got slung to the ground fucking hard. Like as soon as as soon as he got wrapped up, I was like, he's done for the day. I gotta say, too, you know, I, I talked about how he looked in the beginning of that Colts game before he went out. He was feeling the pocket. He was moving up in the pocket, avoiding pressure, wasn't getting happy feet. He didn't get happy feet this week, but he seemed oblivious. And the Bills were bringing all kinds of pressure. That's what led to those four interceptions. I'm surprised he wasn't sacked more. I think that kind of speaks to his pocket awareness. I know I just called him oblivious too. You can be it's oblivious just, to coverage and not be oblivious to pass rush, though. I think I, I feel like he times. was oblivious to the pass rush a lot of times, too. It seemed like mm-hmm. they were getting there. Right as they were getting there, he was rushing his decision. I don't know. It was very weird. It was not the same thing that I saw against the Colts last week. And it's really disappointing. I guess you got to go back to uh, Zach Wilson. I, I don't know, man. Well... Coach Sala, I know he has said that he still believes in Mike White as your starter next week. You know, I guess you have to at this point, right? What is your other option? Uh, Trying out an old Joe Flacco, I guess. That wouldn't be good. So, (laughs) I guess you're kind of stuck for the moment. Zach Wilson's the guy going forward. We knew it was the case. We knew it should have been the case, right? I mean, Mike White, if he had come out and thrown – you know, 44 completions, four touchdowns, no picks, then we'd be having a different conversation. But that's not how that went. So, you know, really what we expected. We were just hoping 
because that's always fun when a guy comes out of nowhere. Hey, you had your day in the sun. You had your Lynn Sanity moment. That's that's all you get. And did you see what he said? He said I should have been a number one overall draft pick. I did see. That. I mean, I, I love the confidence there, man. I do too. But also, no, you're not better than Baker Mayfield. Sorry, bud. <clears throat> that's about it for the NFL. Unless you had something else to add there. I do not have anything left to add in the NFL. I just I hope this week can be better, and we'll talk about that more later in the week. But man. <laughs> I really hope it's better. And so that right there is going to do it for our show today. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Always love to have you aboard. And we are going to, as Bug alluded to, we're going to be talking again later in the week about the games coming up. Make sure to stay tuned for that one. Uh, Also, check out the polls on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We're still in the midst of counting down the greatest Heisman Trophy winner of all time. Got four great matchups this week. I know, last few weeks we've had eight matchups. We're getting closer to finding out our pick for the best Heisman Trophy winner of all time. Only four matchups this week. Joe Burrow against Eddie George. Charles Woodson against Derrick Henry. Reggie Bush versus Tony Dorsett. And Frank Sinkwich up against Lamar Jackson. Pretty wild matchups. Legitimately, I don't know where else in the world you would ever find matchups like this. Only big dudes in the trenches, people. Gotta stay tuned. I'm ready for it, man. You know, I'm ready to talk about these matchups a little bit later in the week as well. You thought we talked a lot about Troy Smith and Herschel Walker. I think it's about to be every single conversation we have going this week. Gosh, I'm already not looking forward to Joe Burrow versus Eddie George. And I kind of know how that's when that one's going to pan out. And I'm still not looking forward to that conversation. It's going to be a tough one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I said it up top. I'll say it again. You can find us, all of our links you know, at BDT Football on Twitter, Facebook.com slash BDT Football, or just search Big Dudes in the Trenches, right? Pretty much everywhere. Instagram, you know, BDT underscore football. Our website's BDTfootball.com. Our Patreon is Patreon.com slash BDT Football, right? So thank BDT Football. You can pretty much find us anywhere you want to. Those links are going to be in the description as well. And certainly enjoyed having you this week, but that's about all I have. So toss it over to Bug, man. What do you got for us? Man. What a week that was here. And I'm amazed we got here because my fact of the week is that it takes 200 muscles to take a single step. How crazy is that? I'm surprised I'm not exhausted just from walk into my computer to do this podcast with you dude i am exhausted from doing this podcast with you so with that <laughs> let's get out of here i'm not saying toe's catchphrase i don't know if you are or not i ain't doing it i am saying the one that we love the most when he's gone he's out here,